everybody doing? Welcome aboard another Thirsty Thursday. Cheers, everybody. We have special guest in the shows. The one, the only, the none other. One of what was intended to be a two-guest rock and roll here, but we've got the man himself, Mr. Ryan Nor. Ryan, talk to us, sir. What's going on? You know, I'm my my heart's pumping here like I've when I used to get on stage to play music. This is crazy. What are you <laughs> listen? I'm sailing away. What does that remind you of? Let's not start there. Let's not start there, Matt. Let's not what do it. What does that remind you of, Brian? Tell me about it. It, it reminds me, I think of, was that honestly the first time that we ever met each other? It was. It was. And where were we? Uh we were in Louisville and uh yeah. we were we happened to be doing some karaoke and you maybe asked me to take my shirt off you that might have happened yeah and that did happen as a matter of fact and i that's pretty much my mo i mean come on that's that is something <laughs> I, I like i fully get behind there and that was that was actually at the gie uh not last year but i reckon i reckon i recognize the year before or something like that i believe i believe it was and man yeah, that was absolutely. a good time i'm not gonna lie i had a lot of fun uh ryan what do you do uh tell us a little bit about yourself well you know uh if you don't know who i am i'm on youtube and i'm one of the lawn tubers on there and uh i've been doing that for about let's see i think my channel started in 2016 or so so it's been quite a few years now about close to 500 videos later of somehow people wanting to watch me and and whatever i do so i'm definitely honored for everybody that uh follows along with kind of what i do on there and of course i'm doing that now full time and my website and everything that goes along with it so there's a lot of things that go on behind the scenes too other than me just mowing my yard every day but that does happen too that's fun yeah listen i i am what would be considered a uh, a subpar content creator a a potster i'd use a bad word right now but i'm i'm a little i'm a little worried about about the youtube but um so I I I, uh, I I understand the necessity to fill a void of just firing up the mower and letting the the camera run and you know now I know it's not that simple for you because you've got to hold up your white balance cards and all that other fun stuff you do. Um, mm -hmm. All right, before before we kind of get into the meat and potatoes, this is just out of pure curiosity, start to finish, from you planning a video filming a video editing a video and posting a video what how many hours is that what's that time time space look like hmm. boy that is a good question uh you know it kind of depends on obviously how involved it is sometimes i just make videos and you know they're more of a topic where i'm just talking about something and i got to find a bunch of b-roll to put over it and that's not as difficult but if i'm going to do something like I just did last week, which is the first Mo video, and I kind of have the storyline to it, and I kind of wanted to do some other things with that. I don't know. I, I That day, I was sitting there, and probably became about mid-afternoon, and I was like, I, it seriously took me about five hours to mow 4,000 square feet of my front yard. Uh, so that was a little ridiculous, but after that, editing again, I, I would say it takes me anywhere between five to eight hours of editing, depending on how involved it gets and what kind of music I go pick and, and all that fun stuff. And then, you know, surprisingly, I think people don't really think about the fact that after you get done with the video, you're excited because you're like, oh, sweet, I'm done with the edit. 
but then you got to go and you've actually got to spend a, a decent amount of time on the thumbnail, figure out your titles, add all the information in there because that's kind of equally as important in terms of YouTube stuff. So all in, I don't even know. I'd say probably 15 hours. That, listen, listen. That is a significant amount of time. I want everybody to stop what you're doing right now and think about putting together, planning and executing a 15-hour project, right? Uh, and, then, and then doing that you know, three times a week, four times a week sometimes. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's a full-time job. That is a legit full-time job. And then add yep. on to it, like, I know we've had a few Zoom calls that last into the wee hours of the morning, too. We're working on, on stuff behind the scenes as well. Is there, ever, is there ever a moment to take off? You know, uh, during the season, it's pretty hard for me. I definitely am doing at least something work-wise seven days a week, and most of the time it's, you know, eight hours a day at least, but most of the... During the season time, for sure, it's beyond, way beyond eight hours a day. And that's okay. I mean, it's fun, and that's my life's work right now. So that's kind of what I expect it to be. If you're going to run your own deal and you're going to do your own thing, then obviously it's going to be more than just punch the clock and come home. So I, I get all that part of it. But, um, yeah, I, uh, there's not a whole lot of time. I try to do my best to take a few moments here and there and realize that there's other things outside of my work and outside of lawn care and, and all of that, that stuff. But it just, you know, I'm kind of an obsessive person anyway. So it's hard to get away when you work at home and everything you do is at home. So it's just easy to get back to, uh, I should go check some email and I should do this and that. And yeah, that's kind of how it works out. Um, how many, uh, what, what, was, what was the, uh, the Photoshop gate last year we ran into? Uh, kind of give us give us a rundown of what happened with Photoshop Gate because that was that was one of my favorites. Uh, you know, I think it was on the lawn forum somewhere, and I would love to say that I could spend more time on there, but I just I obviously can't uh, with what I'm doing. So I believe it was someone tagged me and just said, "Hey, you might want to look at this." And someone posted something on there and said, "You know, it's just so sad when there's these people online who have a following and then they have to feel like." They have to, you know, fake people into thinking their yard looks good or whatever. I won't mention any names who it is. But that's what the post said. But um, we all know who it is. And there was a picture, I think, of something. And so they were like, I'm pretty sure they're talking about you, you know. So I went there and I responded back. And I was just like, I'm, you can just name who it is if you want to just be real about it. Like, you can just call call me out if you'd like to. And then I'll tell you what the facts are. And they were like, oh, well, you've been Photoshopping all of your videos to make everything look good. And I was like, really? Well, it's pretty difficult to Photoshop, which one isn't really a what you can't really Photoshop moving video. But, uh, you know, if I had some still pictures there, maybe that would be a little different story. But yeah, they were they were telling me that I was Photoshopping everything and making it look better. So uh I mean, I'd like to have a film crew and I'd like to have a Hollywood uh, CGI crew and everything that would make things a lot easier for me, but that's just not the case. So it was kind of a, it was kind of a funny deal. And I think the person ended up just kind of going away after some other people were like, you're crazy and this doesn't make any sense. And they just disappeared. Listen, I, you know, I have, I have played around with all kinds of color correction before and it, it is, 
when you're taking a moving target, right? Like for, and they were calling the question, your drone shot, as a matter of fact, if mm-hmm. I, if I recall correctly. Yep. It, 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 the the complexity of layering in the areas that it, a moving target, layering in a moving target for color correction in only certain areas and not other areas. Like it would be obvious if you had a roof that was green where you did a green overlay or a blue color overlay because everything, uh, the driveway that would normally be yeah. a whitish color or gray color would be, uh, uh, an overlay of blue or green as well. And to av- avoid that is, is that's not within the scope of normal editing, right? Like that's, yeah. I, I, I don't know, but I thought that was hilarious. And I've got this running theory for everybody that's, you know, at, at home right now that um, r- people are harder on Ryan Knorr in the lawn care community than compared to anybody else in the lawn community. I don't know why that is. It's a running theory I have. It's kind of like how the the overwhelming percentage of people in the lawn community uh, are also IT specialists or IT people or IT or engineers, right? Um, uh, what's up, the lawn engineer? I saw you over there in the chat. It's and it, kind of in the same way. My theory is that I I don't I don't get it. They uh, they they feed on your niceness and. Um, you know, I, I also think about the screenshots, and I probably shouldn't talk about this publicly, but I'm going to. Oh boy, from Missouri that had the uh, had the hard on for you was one of the most extreme examples of that I think I've ever come across. It was, and and it, we're just reading that. I felt humiliated for that guy, um, and we don't have to dive into the specifics of it. And I'm not part of that group, so. Uh, it's probably none of my business anyway, but shout out to all the Missouri uh, guys that, that shared that with us because that was, that was breathtakingly uh, uh, horrific in a, in a weird way. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, when you're on the internet, you kind of have to get, I don't know that I want to say you have to get used to it necessarily. Cause I don't think that there's a place in time for anyone to be rude and, you know, sometimes hurtful or whatever the case is and think that that's fine just because it's on the internet. But being as you, you know, you go along and you get a following and, and that type of thing happens, it, it just, I've definitely learned to deal with it at first. You're just like anybody else where you're like, they're not understanding me or they're not understanding what I was trying to do. And you're trying to convince them like to change their mind, which in the end, you just know you can't. So you kind of learn over time that just let that stuff go. And it's really not a huge deal. Now, of course, there are times when things get a little strange and someone might kind of go beyond just being rude or they're personally attacking you or something else. And, you know, there are time, there's a time and a place to block people off YouTube too. And I don't have a problem doing that sometimes if I think that this isn't a a place for this kind of hurtful stuff on my channel. It's up to me. It's my channel. I don't have to just allow anything and everything to go. So that's kind of what I do. But for the most part, I let everything, if somebody has a problem with me, if they just don't like me, whatever the case is, I mean, I'm not going to change their mind. So it's fine. It is what it is. Well, you, you, you know, you know, I love you, Ryan. And, uh, and speaking of horrific color correction, I was adjusting the brightness on my camera there and I went way, I went, I went real bad on that. Right. Yeah. And going back to tell us, well, go ahead. You go ahead. Tell us, Ryan. Tell I was just going to say, going back, going back to that color thing too. Obviously, everybody picks a time in, of the day when your lawn looks the best, when you're going to film something or you're going to get the best angle of the sun and the stripes. So, yeah, obviously, 
you're going to do that and you're going to show it off at that time of day. At least that's what I would go for. So if you're looking for some tips out there, then obviously pick the best time of the day to shoot a picture and then you don't need to try to fool anyone on anything. All right, Ray, tell us, what are you into? What have you been doing? What do you got going on over there? Uh, nothing earth shattering, of course. Uh, yesterday I got to play with my favorite toy again. Uh, which one is this? <laughs> uh, the Geo Ripper. Oh, excellent. What did, uh, what'd you do? Do you, do you install some heads, a new line, new zone? Actually, I had to install this, uh, 10 inch deep root barrier for somebody because they didn't have proper edging between their Xeon Zoisha and the rest of their landscaping. So a root barrier, put, just real quick. Yeah. Get, tell everybody what a root barrier is, the materials you use to do that. That's uh, it's not something that most people normally hear. Okay. What a root barrier is, is the, the one that I use is basically a 10 inch wide by eight inch thick black polyethylene that goes into the ground basically about nine inches deep. And what Why that will do polyethylene in lieu of, uh, say like copper. One thing cost <laughs> cost is a big one. And for me, the poly is the most stable material because metals here in Hawaii don't last long unless they're 308 stainless steel. If that makes sense. It does. It makes perfect sense. I make the joke about copper because um, I know um, I had a, a client one time when I lived in Augusta, Georgia, um, and he and his neighbors were bitter enemies. I mean, they absolutely hated each other. Uh, one was retired, uh, uh, oh, Ryan DeMay's in the house. One was a retired oh. army officer. And then the other one was a, uh, he was a, a retired narcotics officer um, that did oh, international narcotics. <laughs> and they hated each other. I mean, like brutal enemies, right? And um, so as a in, a, in a, in an effort of vengeance, the narcotics officer planted a row of bamboo uh, purely to make his neighbor mad, right? And his neighbor, as a rebuttal, came in and buried a 36-inch deep copper sheet along the property line just to make sure none of the bamboo made it over to his place. And uh, I asked, how much did you spend on that copper? And I, I do not remember the figure, but it was thousands of dollars. Uh, less than 10, more than three thousands of dollars for this sheet of copper to be installed in the ground to prevent the roots from the, uh, the, uh, bamboo coming over. I've got good a good grief. story off of that. <laughs> Go ahead, Ryan. Tell us. So this is a golf course in Columbus that was getting built and a person purchased like one of the first homes they built on the golf course backed up to uh, a par three green. And so this guy that bought the house is out there and 
architect happens to be on the property that day and the homeowner sees this guy, sees somebody who looks like he knows what's going on and goes over to the architect and says, Hey, um, you know, I just bought my lot and it looks like you guys are getting ready to put a mound right here behind my house. And that's going to really mess up my view for the hole. And the architect was like, Oh really? Yeah. You know, we were going to put a mound there. And the guy's like, well, I really wish you wouldn't do that. And I've kind of got a little heated there. And so architect calls over the bulldozer operator and says that mound right there, add 20 feet to it, walks away. That's it. Blocks this guy's entire view for the rest of time because <laughs> he came out there and got in a shouting match. So yeah, people can do weird things, right? Ego is a funny thing, but I apologize for my lateness that I was reading this really good book and I couldn't put it down. It's called 101 things you can pretend to be good at and charge $97 for and do an internet course on. I just couldn't <laughs> put it down. It was, a, it was an amazing book. <laughs> amazing. Loved it. Sounds like a great one, okay. Ryan. <laughs> yeah, it's a, I, I heard it's a bestseller and I hear, I hear there's a channel that I can read. I can hear a book review on it, but I just had to read it on my own. Can you send me that when you're done, um, or just just scan pages of it and and send me send me the pages because I don't know if I can afford it right now. Yeah, pay, well, page two it says it says golf course lawn and it just says don't, but yeah, we'll see how it goes. Sorry, I dropped something over there. Um, Ryan, what have you what have you been up to? Uh, uh, welcome, welcome, welcome back, and uh, uh, tell us what, what, what you, over the last seven days here. What have you been What have you been up to? Anything good? Oh goodness, um, bunch of spec work for some construction projects that we've got coming up uh, in May. So uh, building two new football fields. Um, looked at a baseball field that we're going to probably redo um, coming in the summertime after the season's all over and wrapped up. So. Just a lot of a lot of windshield time and a lot of looking at fields, which has been fun. But uh, yeah, it's good to be sitting down, drinking a beer, and chatting with you folks. So it's good. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. Um, no lie, I have really spent almost every day over the last seven days uh, in behind uh, the the windshield of the of the car, driving all over the place. So I'm glad to kind of park my ass at home uh, for the next couple of days and get get caught up on some stuff because. Uh, Boy, we got all kinds of things cooking in the background. By the way, by the way, and I'll I'll share all this with you off the air, which I shouldn't be doing on the air anyway. Um, but oh my Typical. god, I have done some really stupid dumb shit, and uh, and it has worked flawlessly for whatever reason. And uh, it, anyway, <laughs> I'll I'll do that in the uh, in the 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 secret sauce there. Anyway. Listen, I'm behind on the time, so I got to know, who in the hell even convinced Ryan Nor to come on the show? This is a show of, of debauchery and lunatics, and uh, it's a free-for-all. So I'm just curious, how, what, what happened? How did that happen? I got him drunk and made him agree to it, and he he wouldn't. He was such a, has such high integrity, he wouldn't go back on his word. So it was an easy <laughs> sell. It was a really easy sell. Good. I'm glad somebody had the tenacity to get that done because uh, I, I probably would have backed down. I, I'm still guilty over the uh, over the New Year's um, uh, telling him to shut the f up and play some music kind of thing that I was doing. Um, it was a great show, I, I know nonetheless. Real, Real Rollers was also supposed to be here too, but uh, I, I think I think he got sidetracked also. Yep. Yeah. Lee was supposed to be here tonight to kind of go over 
what we're doing down there with that project this year, but uh, he got a little sidetracked with some things. So I just said, I'll come on and talk about what I know and not talk about things I don't know because there's going to be quite a bit of it, but I'm interested to hear a lot from Ray today as well in his favorite topic of zoysia, which we're going to talk about, I'm sure. <laughs> not just yeah, I'm not zoysia, have... El Toro zoysia. Yeah, exactly. I, I, so we, we talked about it a little bit, Ryan. Do you know the backstory on that? Because there was some um, some consternation from us of like, hey, why would they put that in there? And the only thing we could come up with is just like, there's probably so many home builders that just throw that in down there. And Lee wants to have basically what you're going to take care of there at a shop. I'm Do you pretty, know any of the background I, on the craft selection? I'm pretty sure that's kind of what it was, was going after sort of what's been popular down there or what's been being, uh, you know, being put in. Um, I know he said that with the Xeon for sure that for some reason the sod growers have been going after that one more recently. And obviously it's not exactly always fun to deal with. So I'm not sure exactly why they do that, but yeah, that's, I think that's um, the El Toro was just something that he wanted to, to have there as far as maybe what's common down there. Matt, with Listen, all that free time I you have, hate... you, you need to just yeah, get I've on the phone with every sod grower in Georgia. You need to get on every, I every hate Zeon Zoysia with a passion. <laughs> I've never had an experience with Zeon Zoysia where I was like, you know what? I need more of that. I need a, a prolific amount of that in, in my day-to-day -day activities. Um, it is as, as finicky as any of the zoysia grasses. Palisade, you know, I remember when, when Palisade came out, and uh, specifically in Memphis, and Memphis is this weird area where it's, it's too hot to grow fescue, and, and, uh, and there's a lot of old neighborhoods there where you have big trees, and so everybody was buying Palisade zoysia because it is the shade-tolerant zoysia, and they're just installing pallets of, of Palisade under trees and installing pallets, and, and it's all dying, and they're like, but I installed the shade-tolerant zoysia pallet. I paid a premium for it, and this crap is expensive. I'm like, yeah, it's just a weak-ass grass, whether it's in the shade or it's in the full sun. It just it has RDS, random death syndrome. Then they took it to a whole new level of idiocy with Xeon, right? So all the worst characteristics of, of Palisade, aside from aesthetic, because once you got Palisade squared away and working right, it, it was generally nice. It didn't look any different than Meyer Z52. It just died more often uh, at the seemingly drop of a hat. So um, it, at least it looked like Meyer Z52, which was great and exciting, right? That it looks familiar in such a way. But then they went and turned it, turned the table over to Xeon. Like Emerald has its own quirkiness with with cool weather and, and that fun stuff. But how do you take away all the positives from Emerald and just turn it into nothing but a list of complete and total shit with with Xeon and then sell it at the rate they are? It's amazing. I hate Xeon Zoysia with a passion. Right. Tell how us how you, you really feel. Zeon? You tell you tell me. You tell me your your Zeon theories. Okay. Actually, for ninety-nine percent of the people that actually have Zeon Zoisha, they shouldn't have that grass for one reason or another. You know, reason number one, it's growing in shade, usually. Reason number two. They're not equipped to real cut it. Reason number three, 
they're not growing it on sand because uh, Zion Zoisha hates what I call wet feet. And what wet feet is, is when the grass is growing on, you know, loamy, silty, you know, clay-like dirt that never dries out. The grass just up and dies, and it up and dies usually in the winter, if that makes sense. Well, we got winter a good in surprise Hawaii. for you, Ray. Because <laughs> oh. it was definitely it was definitely wet and uh, looking pretty interesting when I was there. But I also under you know strict instructions from RD here did a texture test of the soil too, so that we have that part as well. All right, oh, we've got data. And you, someone went okay, down we... there and collected data. Nope. Oh, you came okay. on. You came on air with some turf scientists, not me, and brought data. What are you <laughs> thinking, Ryan? My heart is racing. I'm so excited. Ooh. Well, we'll see that big Ooh. bump in potassium Ooh. in the big, in the green, right? <gasps> you know. <sighs> yep. Oh boy! Look at this! Oh boy! So we're we're low. We're critically deficient in phosphorus. Uh, we're low in potassium, low pH. So of course we're low in cal and mag. Um, decent sulfur levels. Uh, low in boron, which you know, what is it in Georgia? It's all going to be low in boron. Uh, critically deficient. Well, that wouldn't be critically deficient, but low in zinc too. That's something I would step up to the plate on. Little bit of sodium, I mean, a little bit of organic matter, and That's your new. typical. Oh, look at that! Look at this CEC. Um, yeah. Typically, I'm going to see Georgia somewhere around ten to twelve. Did he bring in soil to lay that sod? I'm just curious. Yeah, he did. Yep. Okay, that makes sense. This makes yep. sense then. Um, interesting. Oh, look, we've got a sand silk clay texture class here. That all, that's all you, Ryan Demay. Look at that. That just looks like, I mean, if I had to guess, and I've seen some other guys from down there have posted different things from Atlanta and Point South. I think it's just like a, a dirty sand is what we would call it in uh, sports turf or things like that. So if you're, if you're building uh, a sand-based field, it doesn't necessarily mean it has to be the USGA specs. You can also... For higher traffic uh, or higher intensity in traffic, you would want to put a little bit of silt and clay in there to give it some structure and also to give it some water nutrient holding capacity. So I would guess that this is probably what it is. Probably just, again, a dirty sand. I would love to see the sand fraction report, but hey, that's just the nerd in me, right? <laughs> next time. Next time, RD. I'm going to hold you to that. <laughs> um, uh, real quick, our uh, our resident rocket scientist wanted to know how much uh, humichar they put on the real roller plot. Uh, nor do you have any insight on that? Uh, I don't think any. I'm pretty sure none. Mm, well, I'd say it's probably not going to somewhere work between zero and none. Good. Yep. Um. So. I guess here's my question. I, I'm I'm all for diving into the science, but I will. I, I, I'm I'm not a Zoysia guy. Don't know anything about it. Here, Ryan, hit your clicker. Yes. Don't know. That's two. First time. Right? First time. So I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go all willy nilly and just say I know whatever it is there is to know about Zoysia grass. That said, 
I'm more interested in the management of this place. Like who is doing the work, who is going to make these applications, when are they going to make them? How are they know that it's time to make them right? Because, you know, mm-hmm. I'm looking at this from a business owner's perspective. This guy laid out a lot of money. Lee put down a lot of money to make this happen. And it's right. It's there's going to be return on investment, right. For having that opportunity for people to be able to demo equipment right there. Right. He doesn't have to go yep. out to their homes. They don't have to wait for him to show up. They go there, they test it. They like it. They buy it on the spot. Right. That's a pretty good business model. But if you're not going to take care of this living, breathing thing, Ray, this is where I'm going to let you jump in. Tell us the bad thing. And Matt, hell, you know, both of you guys jump in. Tell me the bad things that can happen with mismanagement of, let's just say applications, right? So let's just talk about, you know, uh, Furt and Chem right now. What are some of the pitfalls or maladies that can take place during the growing season and outside of the growing season for Zoysia? Educate okay. me. My uh, big one. there. Yeah, go, 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 Ray, on this. Go. Okay, my big one on zoysia is what happens to zoysia when you push too much nitrogen? That is like my big one because you can easily get into a situation where your grass will literally grow faster than you're able to keep up with mowing. However, here's the little wrinkle in this uh, you know, scenario. I know something about both El Toro and Xeon, and it relates to soil pH. And what it is, is that if you have a low soil pH, your zoysia will basically be non-responsive to other agronomic inputs. In other words, you can fertilize till you're blue in the face and the grass will not grow. That would be a problem. I'm not I'm not a zoysia expert, but in my world, that would be a problem. So Matt, then what about the yeah. chemical side? What what about some of the whether it be weed control or diseases, things like that, and especially at this stuff. Ryan, real quick, what's the height of cut that they're generally using on these uh plots there at the turf? Uh, I think um, they're trying part? to be around a half inch. Okay. So Matt, what, so would, I, would the height of cut dictate any problems with that or like high or low or anything uh, like that when it comes to diseases, insect pests, all that? Uh, so I don't have a lot of acres under my belt of half-inch uh, uh, zoysia. Um, I've got thousands and thousands of acres of, of two-inch tall zoysia that I've had to maintain. And there is, um, is a, a, a very generalized rule of thumb, and do not take this as gospel by any stretch or means of the imagination. I'm just using it purely as comparative purposes. Um, but in, in effect, even though it is a C4 plant, it's what you do for Bermuda, but toned down, like significantly toned down. And the reason why is because the output out of zoysia is toned down in comparison, right? So we think about um, what we can do with Bermuda to manipulate the growth, right? You can pretty, it can pretty much tolerate however much impact you want to put on it as long as you maintain even remotely adequate cultural practices, right? Um, it's difficult, for, for example, it's difficult to fertilize Bermuda to death in the, in the means of a, of a standard program, right? Now, with zoysia, zoysia it can be extremely finicky because it's extremely easy to fertilize to death. Um, it, 
you have to be on point from a a uh, from a, a chemical perspective because you can get these weird occurrences. You know the difference between uh, we'll say like root pruning zoysia grass out of existence and uh, uh, being able to generate recovery out of that is it's a very very fine line, right? So. We'll kind of we'll kind of parlay this over into a uh, into a, a pre-emergent strategy, right? With Bermuda grass, you can uh, you know obviously we think about spectacle. You can go hog wild with with spectacle on Bermuda grass, run the higher rates, and you know maybe eat a little bit of the consequences if you do have some spring dead spot or some winter kill in it. Um, however, you really have to eat crow if you. Or take that kind of aggressive stance on zoysia grass with uh, with your your pre-emergence, and so the way I typically compensated with that is lower rates of pre-emergent on zoysia grass, especially if there's any kind of recovery involved, right? And a little bit more aggressive on the fertility side. And when I say aggressive on the fertility side, I'm saying. Uh, a, a stronger balance among ratio ratios of the fertility, right? So more of that one one one, and more of the uh, specialty products like K Mag, and uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna eat a little bit of my my foot here, uh, but um, uh, what is the what is the the phrase I'm looking for with zoysia grass? And I would argue that there is a slight advantage that if you do have adequate macros paying more attention to the BCSR related to zoysia grass. And I'm, I'm just going to throw that out there. So reduce rates on pre-emergent. Uh, it's, it's typically zoysia grass is going to be incredibly clean as it is. It's just not going to require the higher rates. And that works to your advantage because if there is any repair work that needs to be done, uh, you're not going to be able to get it done with high rates of pre-emergent down or slamming it with high rates of post-emergent weed control, right? Um, that's kind of another thing is that I, you know, I tried to avoid blanket spraying uh, a zoysia grass unless it was something that just absolutely needed to have done. Like, for instance, you talk about wet feet. One of the the issues you'll run into with zoysia grass and wet feet, or really any grass, which is significantly wet feet, uh, but I could swear people just oh, angrily feed the water to the zoysia grass and nut sedge becomes just a problem. And I mean, it was you could be in a neighborhood, every zoysia grass in the neighborhood all had horrific nut sedge problems and the Bermuda grass uh, typically did not. And a lot of times it just had to do with those cultural practices and that watering practice of whoever it was that was, uh, that was you know, turning the irrigation sprinklers on. And in those instances, yeah, go after it and get it and, and, and get it down. But say you've got a relatively clean zoysia lawn and you've got a few dead spots in it, which is totally normal for zoysia grass. Um, I'm going to try and avoid uh, spraying the weed pressure that shows up in those. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm going to avoid a blanket application if I've just got weeds in the dead spots of the zoysia and just go after that in a very targeted, simple application um, and try to minimize rates, but with the diversity of products required to get total control. Am I talking in circles? Does that make sense? Do you, do you smell what I'm stepping in there? Yeah. I mean, it's just restraint, right? Is the name of the game is when you think you need to do something, you need to be double sure that you absolutely need to do it. Right. So I guess that's the other thing too. Then from Ray, your standpoint, 
on the cultural practice side, Matt touched on watering a little bit, but educate me on some of the other water, you know, the other cultural practices, I should say, in terms of, you know, whether it's organic matter management, texture management, any of those things all and above aerification where, you know, because it's a slower growing grass, what does that entail? Okay. What that means when you're managing zoisha is number one, I cannot emphasize more loudly and emphatically how important it is to make sure that the mower that you use is sharp and actually shearing the grass rather than tearing it off. Uh, second point is, is that I'm very happy to see that they're going to maintain a low height of cut at the uh, those test plots because I never like to see zoisha kept above three quarters of an inch. I don't want to see it. I don't want to deal with it because what happens to that zoisha is it tends to build up a lot of thatch when you keep it higher. Number two, that high thatch also then welcomes diseases such as brown patch and pisium and and dollar spot into your management situation as well and lastly you talk about other cultural practices such as aeration and thinning zoisha actually starts to have a problem with a lot of thinning type operations because once you thin it mechanically like with a verticut machine it is going to take a while for it to grow back so the name of the game is literally to avoid putting yourself in situations where you need to go in mid-season to say verticut out because number one for example you're pushing too hard on your nitrogen or you're pushing too hard on your water or number three, you're not mowing low enough. So, you know, those are things to consider because like typically when I manage zoisha, there's certain points that I hit on. Number one, mower is sharp and actually shearing the grass rather than pinching it or tearing it. Point number two, I'm not pushing hard on the fertilizer. Point number three, I'm mowing low enough. And point number four is, should I ever get into a situation where I detect sponginess or thickness in the turf? Rather than raising height of cut on my mower, I actually do the opposite and I cut it down a little bit lower to try to get rid of some of that excess material. I'll say Is there right any now, benefit? In, oh. it, it just of, of any turf I've ever managed, the one that is always the fastest to rut up is always zoysia. Always zoysia. And, you know, Ray talks about uh, how, how, you know, first sign when you detect it becoming spongy. Let me tell you, anybody that has maintained zoysia out there knows exactly that feeling when you're going across it 
And normally, Zor's just soft under your feet, though, but there's a certain amount of firmness that you just lose at a point in the season. And that typically, that's going to be between July and September, right? Where it just doesn't feel right under your feet. And then that's when you start having the weird, creepy, creepy things coming in and just issues appearing in your zoysia, right? And you're at the latter half of your growing season and you don't have time to make the repairs. And what are you going to do? You know, you're going to have a dead spot there. You know, you're going to have a bad POA problem there. You light it up with pre emergent, then you get sucked into the cycle, right? That's right. That's right. But but for me, what I typically see being the big mistake with zoysia is people feel that sponginess and they're thinking, I'm going to raise my mower a quarter of an inch or so to prevent any kind of scalping or or browning. I do the exact opposite in that when I feel that under my feet, I warn people, I tell them, you know what, your lawn is starting to you know, misbehave on me, and so I'm going to have to drop my mower by at least a tenth of an inch and cut it down, if that makes sense to you guys. No, that makes total sense. So here's the question I have that we employ heavily on cool season, like you know, putting green, like bent grass, right? So we're talking about half inch or less. Um, from a texture standpoint is to brush it, right? So you'll have some mowers that are equipped with rotary brushes that go and spin out in front of the reel. You'll have others that flip down in front of a walk-behind mower, which I don't know that, I know that the, and Ryan Nor can probably speak to this on some of the cassettes that like the Swordman and some of the other mowers they have there might have, but the other way is just literally taking a, a stiff bristle drag broom across it to stand up just enough of that to get that texture from where it's laying over to where it's come and come back up and we can shear that off at that same height. So have you all tried that? And is there any benefit that you, if, if you haven't any benefit to that? Uh, I'm usually out there myself on my yard with a hand broom pretty much is what I do but of course we know I like to do crazy things RD like sift soil and all that fun stuff yes you are a nut job Nor out there with the with the push broom putting a little hot wallop on that grass so you can get a cleaner cut <laughs> you heard it here okay here's the thing about doing that to Zoisha it is largely a lost cause because zoysia grass is so like woven together rather than standing up and then laying over that a brush is not going to get you very much because your actual issue or problem is the grass has woven together and is tangling up on itself. So when you get into that situation, I w the, the other good things that I've seen done to Zoisha that is starting to do that is the carbide-tipped, star-shaped grooming blades, like what you can get on a Toro or a Jacobson or a John Deere Greensmower. Mm -hmm. You need to get rather 
serious with it because I can tell you right now that a a brush does not do what you think it's going to do versus I see the value of brushing or brooming something a lot softer like Bermuda, Bent, or Rye, or Kentucky Bluegrass. You're not going to get that out of Zoisha because Zoisha is basically a very hard, and I'm going to use, throw a big word out, I consider it a very recalcitrant grass. Ray, people in the chat are asking right now about uh, growth regulators on Xeon. Um, what's your experience in that world? I actually consider PGR use essential if you're not able to move Xeon every other day. If you can't move Xeon every other day, I literally expect you to throw it on a combination of at least two PGRs. I know for me personally, in what I do, Xeon lawns get three different growth regulators tank mixed together, and the objective is to seriously suppress all growth out of that grass. And that's also done in conjunction with water and nutrient restriction. What AIs are you going after? You're using three AIs. What, which three are those? Okay. AI number one is Trinexapac. AI number two is Fluoroprimidol. AI number three is Prohexadione, also known as Anu. And they're literally applied at rather high rates for a real cut warm season grass. Yeah, I don't think there they should really have too much trouble keeping up with the mowing part of it, because obviously that's kind of the whole reason why they put in the plots in general. And, you know, there's people there nearly every, you know, Lee goes there too, I think on the weekends quite a bit too. So I don't think that part of it would be too difficult, but... What I'm hearing so far out of this thing is I think I want nothing to do with Georgia. That's what I think. <laughs> no, I, I, no l listen, it's just, it's, it's just finicky, right? And until you, you get your hands in it and play with it, um, and un unfortunately, you don't have any minor Z52 there, which will lead you to a false sense of security, tried and true, baby. But shout out to all my Z52 fans out there. Um, but, you know, that, that one will make you feel comfortable and you'll feel good about maintaining Zorgia because it's way more predictable, right? You can be aggressive with it. Um, you know, I kind of, I kind of, I would say it's, you're closer to like uh, growing a, a grape, right? When you're, when you're growing grape plants, you'll, you'll kind of hear these different philosophies like, you know, you, you go easy, you know, it's for the first couple of years until it reaches a certain level of maturity. And then you can really start blasting it with cow nitrate and all this other stuff. Um, and, and, and then you kind of have the other train of thought where, you know, you, you come out of the gate and during establishment, you absolutely blast the, the hell out of it and then, uh, back it off as, uh, as it reaches maturity. Right. And so, you know, Meyer Z52, you can kind of take whichever approach you want there and, and, and you, you have a pretty predictable outcome, unfortunately, and I don't have a lot of experience with El Toro, but with, with Xeon, 
Um, it's you, you, you kind of got to be ginger the whole way around. You have to be very deliberate with what you do on it. So, um, having a plan and a strategy, a strategy and not just strategizing of what you're going to do, but strategizing beyond that five steps ahead that whatever you do, if there is an adverse reaction, what's your correct, uh, uh, corrective reaction. So what a uh, real quick, can we then, talk what, a little bit about be, the, uh, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. I was just going to say, I wanted to, uh, go into, you know, the nutrient part of it. And according to the soil test, just kind of touch on that stuff in terms of how to apply those things, but not go too overboard. It sounds like in terms of the, the macros. Well, lucky for you uh, that you were dealing Needs with, a lot. yeah, well, with deficiency symptoms right out of the gate. So, um, you know, in, in terms of, of macros, as a, a generalized rule of thumb, we're going to be at a half inch high to cut, right? So, um, I, again, very general statement here. You could probably have to tweak this as the season goes on, but about a half pound to end a month, half a pound to P a month, and half a pound to K a month. Um, and probably just knock all those out with, with each, each application, right? And however you want to divide that into weekly or biweekly applications or monthly applications, whatever you see fit. Um, and also whichever direction you're going to choose to go on your micronutrients, you have low soil pH, but you're going to have to be applying plenty of phosphorus. So make sure you're using a good chelate to, um, with a soil pH of 5.9, it's low I'm not panicking with a 5.9 pH, uh, probably in the winter. I'm definitely going to be doing some corrective lime applications there. Um, but until then, until that point, because I am going to be including so much phosphorus, uh, I'm definitely running a good uh, total chelate, right? Like EDTA uh, because of the soil pH here or um, EDDHA would, would uh, be equally as effective either uh, also. I've got a question. So would you, because it's going to be hard, he's probably going to run, I'd say, 150 SGN or less on this half-inch height, probably Green's height or Green's uh, SGN, so 90 to 100 SGN. Um, it's going to be difficult to find a 111 in that. You might find like a 14, 214 or something. That's, that was my next thing was my whole thing would be brave. because you can't, because you can't find it. And the other thing too, from a demonstration thing is you're not going to want to have people show up there and be like, Oh, oh, oh you know what? You can't use the basket, the grass catcher today because we don't want to pick up the fertilizer pearls that we spread and watered in. Right. <laughs> Even if you're using contact, yeah. you don't want to do that. So that's why I think the liquid and going out more frequently would be behoove everybody uh, all the mm -hmm. way around. Also easier yeah. to dial those J rates in too. JPink, can you pull up that drone shot uh, also of it? Uh, I, I've got a couple questions. Did they, um, the, the one with the very obvious dark spots on it, do, did they attempt to burn anything or are those just dark spots from areas that, uh, that are dying? No, that's the, that's the good old burn. There's just no sheds close by. So we didn't burn anything down, Matt. Oh, that's funny. Okay. So it just got torched. There. That's funny. <laughs> yeah. Just, it just torched. got torched. Um, okay, what about in the in the center row on the right, right? That uh, that strip on the right, um, that does not look good to me. 
Um, so the middle, like it's so be coming out of dormancy very well. The far left is the El Toro, then the middle is the Xeon, and the right is the Tiff Tough. And the the middle there, the Xeon, when we scalped it down, that's what I was saying to Ray was that there's a lot of moisture down in there and just kind of gunky almost, I guess I would say, is kind of what I what we experienced with that part. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's that where it looks is dark. So stereotypical Xeon Zoysia right there and i guarantee you when that greens up that those will be where you you see those markings in there uh will not green up or will be incredibly slow to green up and you could reference this if you take another drone shot in the middle of summer i guarantee you you're going to see weak areas of the turf if you overlay this just in the exact same areas Mm -hmm. that's kind of what you know he's looking of course, like you said, Matt, you're putting a lot of money into this and obviously you want to take care of it the way that you should. And that's what he's trying to do. But also he kind of wants to be realistic about it and show people, you know, here's what's happened. And if we take a picture of midsummer, you know, here's exactly what it looked like in the spring and here's what it looks like in the summer. And this is what's happened and maybe why. And that's kind of why we're talking about all this tonight is to get an idea of what the expectations might be going forward and kind of what you might expect to happen so those are interesting things to me yeah so i would just go ahead and expect on resodding those two squares with a with a superior type of zoysia grass uh, <laughs> i'm just kidding um but uh, okay let me let me ask this to date what has been put on that center plot um i don't that's where i wish lee was here because i don't know exactly what they did last year it was put in around september i believe or august or september somewhere around there and then he did a soil test initially with UGA and that came back with pretty much very similar to what I just got on Waypoint, same pH and everything there. And so I, I know he did some lime last year towards the end of the year. He told me, I don't know how much he put down, but um, I knew going into seeing that at a 5.9, I expected it probably hadn't changed all that much. And so this year he just told me, um, he may, I think I told him basically initially looking at that test that we were looking at a one, one, one. So I think that he put something down recently, but I don't know exactly what it was yet. Yeah. Just, just curious looking at that, uh, because those aren't going to be trouble spots coming out of the gate. And, uh, my big fear is, you know, pre-emergent season, you get in there, you, you start hammering it. And now already at the start of the year, we're in the middle of a grow in program. Right. And mm-hmm. if we did get aggressive with the, the pre-emergent program, and now we've got to rely on a grow in program, we shot ourselves in the foot unnecessarily. Right. Actually, yes and no, Matt. Yes and no. Here's my experience with zoysia and aggressive root pruning herbicides. For me, zoysia actually tolerates aggressive root pruners a lot better than the other warm season grasses because most of your zoysia regrowth occurs from rhizomes that are going to emerge from below where that vapor barrier is in the soil. So it'll literally pop up through the, through the vapor barrier and 
come up. However, the catch is, is that if you do too much root pruning, your surface or your canopy will be thinned out because the canopy is also dependent on the stolons establishing and sending up foliage. But if you root prune that too much, then guess what happens? You just uh, send out your, your canopy as well. So you actually do need to be careful, but it doesn't make me nearly as nervous as, say, low-cut Bermuda. Whereas low-cut Bermuda, if you get, you know, willy-nilly with your root printing pre-emergence, uh, you're not going to have a good time at all. So, you know, I, I have, uh, and and this is just totally my experience, is um, higher rates of pre-emergent have always been counterintuitive to the success of zoysia grass in, in my experience. Um, and it's, I don't know. It could be totally a regional thing. Um, it could be a transition zone thing, uh, but especially on one of those grow in style programs. And I think about So this reminds me very similarly of, um, a, uh, a, a property I used to maintain in Memphis that was sodded in the previous fall and, um, pre-emergent down in the spring. And of course we had, uh, one of those years where we had an ice storm and there were sections of it that did not green up. And, um, intentionally I did one of those things where I treated the front yard with pre-emergent. I did not treat the backyard with pre-emergent, uh, just to give myself a bit of a baseline, uh, because I was worried about what was going to green up. Uh, and again, this is also Palisade, not, uh, not Zeon Zorgia. Um, and, um, in the non pre treated area, uh, actually recovery was able to happen in the course of that year, probably about 95% recovery and grow in was able to be accomplished where in the front, um, we were only somewhere around like 50, 60% recovery. So I just, I get real nervous again. I don't, I don't have just tons of experience with, with Xeon, you know, maybe, uh, of a few hundred acres at best. Um, so there could be some variability there, but I've always felt like I've had way more success on the pre-emergent side of things, not being aggressive with it going into a grow in. So Ray, I had a question for you. Um, we've been talking about obviously a lot about the, the Xeon, but in terms of the El Toro and compare that to the Bermuda that's there kind of, how does how does that program change at all or what sort of things would you be looking at with those things? Well, I'm going to tell you right now that what, here's what I know about both Xeon and El Toro. They were deliberately bred and developed to grow optimally on a high pH, high calcium soil. I mean, that's, uh, that's what UC, University of California, that was one of their points for their development program for El Toro was optimal growth on high pH soils. And when they say high pH, they're talking about pH over seven, actually. So, you know, 
that's that's one thing. Uh, other thing is that when you try to grow either Xeon or El Toro on a low pH soil, where you see your issue is in the root rhizome and stolen development because those grasses are actually adversely affected and I can literally tell the approximate pH of someone's soil just by looking at how the root system is doing on their on their zoysia turf. I can tell because in an acidic soil, I don't see the kind of root development that I see in, say, a zoysia turf growing on, say, pH 7 or pH 7.2 soil, if that, if that helps. <laughs> so that'd probably be uh, something that would do pretty well if I had longer heat season here on actually what I have going on. So what do you think, R.D.? I don't know how much of that. I mean, so obviously C4 grass is Ray and, and Matt is driven not just by temperature, but more so by light and the quality of light. Yeah. So yeah. is Zoysia the same deal? I mean, I, I'll go look right now what the DLI is for like Xeon versus uh, Bermuda, but I got to imagine it's probably drastically different. Actually, you know, it, to me, the other factor about zoysia is that zoysia also t tolerates lower light intensities overall, but the only weakness that I've seen in zoysia is the fact that zoysia does not like daytime temperatures under 75 or nighttime temperatures under 70. It just doesn't perform well. It just, you know, and if you have a, a time of the year or the period of the year where that is your normal weather, that is not a good time for Zoisha. Because... And I'll tell you, where he is, that's going to be out, outside of that range. He's going to have maybe 10 weeks within optimal range there, even where he is in the North Atlanta area. 10 weeks, maybe maybe 12 weeks a year in just that rock and roll type of environment. Fabulous weather, right? Fabulous weather because, you know, I got to think about, for example, you know, you all have heard me say how bad it gets for grass, say between November and May here in Hawaii. And the reason for it getting bad is because it actually cools off at that time of the year. It's not hot anymore. So the zoysia actually struggles, and I can tell it's struggling because I see the turf thinning out. I see the need to even back off a little on my PGR rates versus if I'm uh, dealing with the grass during the warm part of the year, I notice the growth, I notice the density, I notice the need to really hammer it down with the PGR. So 
10 to 12 weeks of growing season is kind of rough. That's kind of rough, actually. And by the way, El Toro does badly in cool weather out of all of the zoishas. Cool weather is not its thing. Hmm. The, uh, <laughs> Go ahead, RD. I'm just looking at the DLIs here. They had this is not this is at rough height, so this is about one and a half to two inches. But they had DLIs on uh, Zorro and Zeon as low as about twelve, thirteen, which that's really low. I mean, that's low for even cool season grasses. So that's that's pretty impressive. Um, but they did say here this is a study out of Kansas State. Where's this out of? Uh, Texas A&M. Um, I do not five years know ago. where they come up with all these statements about Xeon. Um, it is, it, 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 they'll tell you it can grow in shade. Uh, it needs a quarter of a pound in a year, and that's it. Um, what? And, oh, I've heard all kinds of things. The sod farm here that, that they, they do, listen, let me tell you what, what they call volunteer zoysia, right? Which is Xeon zoysia that was hit by an ice storm. And whatever survived that ice storm, they propagated back into their fields. And then they said, this is the cold-tolerant Xeon uh, uh, because it, it obviously survived the ice storm, right? So this is a cold-tolerant Xeon, and we call it volunteer, right? And, and it only needs one application of triple 13 a year at, uh, what did he say? I think he told me three pounds per thousand, and that was it for the season, and you'd be good with it. And not to say that you know any zoysia grass needs to be be out there and and just absolutely pounded and all this fun stuff. But my whole point is that you hear all these wild ass claims. I say, and I firmly believe about Zeon more than any other grass type that's out there. That seems like a scientific like that, test to me. Yeah, it definitely has nothing to do with variability and maybe low spots in the fields and, you know, where the ice sheets form and all that fun stuff. It just, it survived. We repropagated it. It's volunteers, George, baby. It's badass. We grow it down here in Palmer. Rocky Top. <laughs> I love when, Corn this is brother. seriously, like, I absolutely love when Matt does a Southern accent because to me, it's like just a little, it's going a little farther than his, but I love when he does that. <laughs> yeah i mean he's not really is he, <laughs> he's not really in the south we're in canada but he's not really in the south so that's true you can't claim that uh excuse yeah. me you know you know i mean excuse if you're north me of what did you just say if you're north me? if you're north of the tennessee river don't even talk to me you know that's like fighting words <laughs> for him i think <laughs> <laughs> I'm just gonna go have my French fries and gravy and drape myself. How am I? How am I? How am I gonna? Listen here, Demay. Listen. Hey, you ain't, you're not from all the way Are down south. Are you going snow skiing this weekend? Because you still got got snow on the damn ground up there in in Vancouver or wherever you are. Yeah, I gotta <laughs> take the dog sled over. I gotta get the dog sled over there. It's actually carrying the you, clubs over to, for me to play golf at my golf course. Down line. the hillsides. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. I'm waiting for I'm waiting to figure out what to do with the snow mold on my golf course lawn. I'm waiting for that module to come out. It should come out soon, even though I paid my money, but it's not out yet. I hope it's there soon. 
maybe, along with mowing and watering, which also kind of are important. But I'm waiting on those two. I'm at a loss for words here. What do you guys, what can you tell me about the, uh, the Bermuda? I think we need to talk about the Bermuda. You can do whatever the hell RD, you want stay to. RD's back on the track. Right. What, here's yeah. my question is, uh, yeah, what about, why doesn't he not have a winner? What's the green in that le- upper left quadrant on the right? So that was some of my favorite sissy grass. Oh, so you overseeded. Yeah. That's a not great overseed, but, you know. Yeah, it, it was, it was not, that stuff. It was late. variability there. It was late, I yeah. think. Give me give me that twenty pound twenty twenty five pound rate and just hammer it right. Yes, spring Ryan, transition listen. be damned. You know you know exactly what I'm talking about there. If if a baseball field does not have twenty to twenty five pounds of perennial ryegrass on it, it ain't a damn baseball field. I'm telling you right now. <laughs> it's gonna look awful come like in about what a month down there. Not even a month, maybe. Yep. It's gonna look awful, but. Yeah, and I don't know if he did this slowly. yet, but I, uh, he, uh, he called me a few weeks ago, and he was like, should I be spraying this out, or what should I? I was like, yeah, I would suggest spraying it out. So I, I don't know if he got that done, but I, I think he was at least planning that part of it. All right, so good question here for just, you know, to throw it out there. What is your favorite wham? We're knocking this stuff out, and it's going bye-bye, like, right now, versus the, I think I know what you're going to say for the slow and gradual transition, but I think I know what you're going to say for both of them, but I'll tee you both up here and let you talk. I don't, I don't, I don't do slow and gradual any when we're talking about Bermuda grass. It's either Monument or Katana, end of story. Those are your only two options, in my opinion. Go ahead, Ray. Yeah, I would be the same. I do Monument or Katana, or uh, I'd even be dropping down Sincor. I, I'd even drop down Sincor. When I was Sorry, in Arizona, I, I just, they were uh, using nope. Revolver out there, I think. Mm-hmm. Slower. And, yeah, Revolver works. It is a little slower, especially in cool weather. Um, it's just, it's not very broad spectrum. Um, and so that's why I wouldn't reach for it. Your cost to reward ratio there isn't there for me. Uh, versus something like specifically monument, you know, for example, um, you're talking about extended period of, uh, of nut sedge depression too, going into the season. Um, in my opinion, more effective on broadleaf weed suppression to moving into the season, you'll see later emergence of any button weed, if any uh, emerges at all. And that, that's going to be another thing too. Button weed is a real thing in the South. Like it's, it's for real and it's real deal. Uh, and I'll say buttonweed and, uh, and damn it, what is the other one? I'll think of it here in a second. You go ahead, Ray. Okay. Uh, yeah, my, my thing is, is that Revolver is kind of a specialty product in that I don't even think of it as a pull-up product. I think of it more of a product for weedy species of pespalums and crabgrass in instances where something like revolt like quinclorac is not a good fit in a warm season grass uh no however here's here's one thing to keep in your mind in in the back of your head uh uh uh, quinclorac and hybrid bermuda grasses 
or do not play well together. They do not they play well together. So let that go. I out can of attest your ear. to that. Yeah, Here, because, I'll find a picture for J Pink to put up. Yeah, because to be honest with you, do you guys know what I typically run on on crab emerged crabgrass here in Hawaii? Uh, I'm I'm gonna say either tribute total or revolver and Celsius or Syncor and some other thing that only Ray would do. Syncor plus tenacity. Actually, my favorite for crabgrass has become. Revolver plus Imazequin. Damn. Okay. Okay. Yep. 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 Makes sense. Revolver plus oh. Imazequin. I mean, those two play very well together as far as removing grassy weeds from a warm season turf. And it does it with, you know, minimal stress to the warm season turf, provided you spray it correctly because. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Imazequin can be very funny if you overdose it even a little. I'm going to give you the aggressive head nod there because I have made some Imazequin applications over the years that looked uh, non-discernible from a monosodium methane arsenate application. Um, Just looked completely identical smoke and return, burn and return type of application because, you know, of course, that's out of a, a Kimlon gun, right? Right, right. Ver- versus if you do it, you know, judiciously and correctly, no one will know you even sprayed anything because the grass will not look any different. But that's provided, you know, your your calibration is on point. Ray, should uh, any applications be done uh, with a a, uh, a a light coat, a mist, or a light coat misting into the air with a light coat? <laughs> is, is, that, is that in the application handbook anywhere? I'm just curious. No, I, it's I think not. That's an arc. No, I, it, oh. it is. It is not. And uh, you know, I find that statement of just mist it with a light coat, Matt. I find that to be rather triggering for me. <laughs> yes, I it occupies that R. Kelly in my head too. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of triggering. You know, just missed it with a with a light coat. And it's like, ah. Uh, so what are you? What are you trying to do? I mean, and the reason why I say this is because Ryan nor a lot of the herbicides that are employed for warm season grasses are very serious business. I'm talking about chemicals that are applied in terms of grams per acre. Mm -hmm. And so when you're applying something that is applied at the rate of a few grams per acre, uh, you cannot be lackadaisical or casual about it. It's serious business at that point. Yep. You know, uh, it, it is worlds ap- apart from something like your three-way, for example. It's different. <laughs> I don't know if he's trolling or not, but um, uh, someone in the chat here, who's that? Nettles! Nettles says he overapplied a Mazikwin and it was a dead spot for two or three seasons. Stop it, Tiffany. Stop it. 
I, I can believe that because imazapine is literally a couple molecules away from imazapir. Mm-hmm. So, and I've even had a bad experience with imazapine, not caused by me, but caused by somebody that didn't know, and he sprayed the full label rate of imazapine onto the lawn three times at 30-day intervals. And the grass was smoked. Jeez. It was smoked. You... I mean... <sighs> and by the way, Ryan DeMay, this was on Tifway 419 Bermuda. How did you not realize by the second time that you were probably really screwing something up? Like, there's just no way that there was not red flags going up everywhere saying, eh, yeah, you know what, let's do that third app. This might turn around. Yeah. Like, well, I, I, well of course, know, that, this person was just not following any kind of good agronomic practice because, for one thing, never get heavy with the herbicides on some say something like tiff tough unless you're giving that turf adequate nitrogen phosphorus or potassium because your mileage may vary regarding even something like monument because it doesn't take much for monument for example to turn around and become phytotoxic and your chances uh, of that, that happening can are greatly increased when your NP and K are not in order. <laughs> uh, Go ahead, Ryan, that picture you posted there looks like something I've done a hundred times with Monument. Like when I first saw that, I remember when you said that to me originally, and I was like, "Oh, that looks like a Monument or a Celsius no. application, either or." That's and yeah, so that's when you told me Quinclorac, I was like, "Oh yeah, hybrid Bermuda Quinclorac. That's that's totally a rite of passage there." Yeah. That's uh, yeah. That's not good. That's I a spot spray. Voice. <laughs> oh, I'm over it now. Spray. In a very oh, effective man. zone spray. At that, look at that. That's oh no, I mean it. It knocked the, the ever, are. knocked the ever living shit. Oh yeah, the mower passes were total cheaters, but um, knocked the ever living shit out of the um, out of the crab. Probably should have handpicked it. So, um, some interesting things I learned about this. Um, this is again, Queen Clorac on hybrid Bermuda. This is Tahoma 31 to be specific. And, um, I talked to several folks about the silver academics, uh, Sean Askew at Virginia tech and also James McCurdy at Mississippi state. It's actually funny because, uh, Dr. McCurdy had the most information to offer because he had actually tried to simulate this exact thing for their field day down in Starkville this past summer. He was trying to induce injury to figure out some of the variables that might cause it. So they still haven't figured it out yet, but um, it is kind of random. There is no necessarily rhyme or reason why it happens. They have kind of narrowed it down to temperature at application. So the warmer it is, the, the more likely you are to have phyto, which you wouldn't necessarily think on Bermuda, but it's it's a thing. Other thing, too, and it's, it's particular to... Um, Queen Clorac in general, it's on the label about uh, not watering 
a couple days prior and a couple days after. And Ray, you might delve a little bit deeply for the folks, so I don't steal all the time here, but why is it important for soil to be on the drier side for quinclorac to have the correct activity? That is because quinclorac is actually extremely soluble and mobile in soil. So if it's too wet, what will happen is the quinclorac will literally get attracted to the water and go wherever the water goes. So you actually need to have very good control of your water when you're working with something like quinclorac. And in fact, the other herbicides that are actually very similar to this are tenacity and pilex because those herbicides too are actually very water soluble and mobile in water. So if you get too much water or too much rain, you can literally flush those products out of the ground before they even have time to actually work for you. I, ho I hope that answered the question. <laughs> yeah, no, it did. It did. And so I can tell you, Matt, this year, the, uh, the spray sheet to take care of any emerged crabgrass this year will be pocket knives and a 15 pack of Keystone. We'll walk the field. <laughs> <Perfect>. <laughs> and and yeah. I think it kind of points to also, uh, so quinclorac is one of those things that's, it's a weird one, right? It mimics oxen and you, you kind of get yep. two different, yep. yeah, some kind of, you get two different weird activities out of it, right? Uh, depending on what you're treating. But if you were to spray a three-way herbicide, right, and in the heat on Bermuda grass, it looks identical to that. I mean, absolutely identical to this. Um, so anyway, just kind of an interesting thing there, even though it's not an oxen herbicide, you know, it's a, uh, uh, what is it? A, uh, car car carboxylic acid. So what, what, what is it, right? ALS, it's, it's a, an ALS inhibitor, but it's, it, no, it's it, actually, that's the so other thing. It's a quinoline carboxylic acid, chlorinated carboxylic acid. However, it is still, number one, an auxin inhibitor on susceptible weeds. But two, as far as the grassy weeds go, it then acts as an inhibitor of cell division at the growing point. So that's why... It will work on things like crabgrass or foxtail, but if you were to ever get quinclorac near beans, clovers, alfalfa, tomatoes, eggplant, or bell pepper, or potatoes, heaven help you because those crops are actually extremely susceptible to the oxen activity of quinclorac. That's why well, you, you know see what? the They're... action on wild violets too, right? <laughs> yes. I'm pissed now because there goes my golf course bell peppers, damn it. Jesus. <laughs> I can't I oh god. I'm so mad at myself. That wasn't in the that wasn't in the modules. Oh. It wasn't it wasn't it wasn't RD. You know that eh, it wasn't it wasn't covered. It wasn't covered there, but you know what? Maybe next year. Maybe next year. Maybe I'll have to go to the $147 package to get the bell pepper golf course stuff. I'll get there. I'll get there. I'm, I got to. I got to graduate. You know, six months ago I couldn't even spell grass. Now, 
you know, I can grow it, <laughs> maybe smoke it. I don't know. I had a okay, question so, for uh, I had a question for Ray in terms of yes. another plan that we have at the turf park for basically probably about mid June or so would be some sand leveling work that needs to be done. So what kind of things would you do there maybe to prepare for that or to approach that? Okay. Here's how I would do sand leveling on Zoisha. And this is very important before you sand level scalp that area down to the dirt. And the reason why I say that is because if you don't, you won't be able to determine what your actual true level is because all of the satch and the debris will basically act like a cushion or a carpet that'll hold the sand up above the actual level. And then when that thatch and debris goes through accelerated decomposition because you've buried it in sand, then that turns into a hollow in the, in the turf and you haven't really accomplished anything. Like, for example, kindly refer to the sand leveling video put out by another YouTuber that shall remain nameless where the grass was not scalped down to the dirt and shovelfuls of sand were thrown on top of the Empire Zoisha. Refer to that. Okay. Was that a good I, I time? Definitely, <laughs> I definitely will not do that. I can tell you that. <laughs> okay. Okay. Ray, what do you think would happen if you just, again, because there's enough space there to do it, but what do you think would happen if you, like, I'm talking like, five millimeters something real thin what do you think would happen if you phrase mode zoysia and then leveled it actually lord have mercy i don't think anything (laughs) particularly horrible would happen to zoysia provided your other agronomics are in order you see the picture that i'm trying to paint you folks is that All the scary things you've seen happen in Zoisha are largely related to pH is not right. Your phosphorus and potassium levels are not right. Uh, You don't have enough calcium and magnesium in the soil because I know for myself, if I were to ever brutally do one of my down-to-the-dirt scalps to Zoisha, growing on acidic soil, I will most likely kill the lawn. So it is Zoysia is incredibly easy to mow a dead strip into the grass. I'll tell you that right yeah. now. Uh, yeah. I, I, it is especially with, uh, with growing on firmer soil. Um, I, I swear the, the crowns of the plants are, are floating exceptionally high and you just you you cut right into the damn things and uh and you'll have just a beautiful line of dead grass and uh you know straight lines in nature there's something fishy about that when you see it right yep uh somebody was asking about sand capping zoysia uh i don't see any issues there there's telly of course actually i gotta tell you uh sand capping 
is actually my best friend when dealing with a Zoishalon because you see sand capping Zoisha that's growing on dirt is the next best thing to taking a bulldozer to that entire yard, scooping off the first two feet, and replacing it all with sand. So sand capping is a good thing. Picture Ray on a bulldozer in Hawaii with a big shit-eating grin on his face. I told Ray before (laughs) that whenever whenever I move, I honestly think that I might just scrape off everything and just put down like a bunch of sand right at the beginning and just do all sand right away. And he was like, that's well, exactly the plan you should do. A you bunch of jump, masonry You just jumped sand. ahead. No, it's, it's don't just say masonry sand. That gives me, God, what are you doing? <laughs> I did that for you. I'm sorry. <laughs> I know. I know. What are you, gosh. Do we need to talk Either about using the Ziploc bag as a condom again? <laughs> red, yeah, yeah. Don't, don't do the blue ones. The blue ones will... Well, you know, those are laced with acid. Um, uh, and, and, so, and while you're kind of on this, when you, after you talk about the sand, can you talk about what exactly phrase mowing is too? We get some questions about that. Oh, yeah. Um, phrase mowing is a process where there is a machine that essentially, if you've ever seen them mill out asphalt, right? A little machine that's got the conveyor belt that shoots and grinds that up, right? So there's a machine that does that same thing with turf and we can adjust it literally millimeter by millimeter to go down and so it's particularly useful in um stoloniferous and rhizomatous grass that um can propagate again so the idea behind it was originally um for european football pitches and um over there they grow 100 percent ryegrass don't tell ryan nor but it's 100 percent ryegrass yes. and so the problem is football in europe it's football yeah. So they <laughs> you're such <laughs> anyhow. That's the that's a fancy way of saying soccer, Matt. Soccer. That's the fancy way of saying soccer. Wanna, they call it football over there. Football pitches. I'm yeah. here in the south. Uh, you you are. So the idea was is you're that not in the they south, always, Matt. Mid south. <laughs> Mid south. Mid south. Not all the not all the way like down in the basement south, but like Southish, roughly. So the idea was is that um, they couldn't chemically control Poe annual, but they could mill out all that grass, right, and then replant uh, perennial rye, and they would rip the Poe plants out of the ground. Okay, so that was maybe eh, fifteen twenty years ago. They came up with this technology, and it proliferated throughout uh, Europe, the UK, all that kind of stuff. My camera's gonna die. Don't worry about it. Um. Can you still hear me? Yeah, I hear you perfect. All right, fine. Don't worry about that. We'll just we'll go with the the TV bars here. So the idea behind phrase mowing now with with warm season is that you can do the same thing. You can remove poa, uh, you can remove other grassy weeds that come up as well, and then get back down to just the uh, little bit of stones that are left in the rhizomes on uh, Bermuda, and either let that grow back in if there's enough Bermuda there. Uh, or um, sprig back into it. And so it's a really popular process, especially in sports fields. But in some cases, when you're trying to do leveling and things like that, like they'll use it on um, like baseball field, like where there's lips 
they'll grind and mill those out get them back down to level rather than like taking a side cutter or something to them because you can be much more precise there's actually even ryan nor will love this they actually have a phrase mower that has a um dual mast laser system so that you can be ultra precise down to the tenth of a percent of grade that's what i need maybe someday maybe someday so yeah that's that that's you know it's a process on zoysia grass i would be concerned about just because of you know what you all have said about just how uh slow and cantankerous it can be and you know it's not like in bermuda grass you know uh Actually, the fine folks at UT Knoxville did a great study uh, recently about um, different depths, different timings, things like that. Five millimeters was the winner to take out the post. That was their that was the goal was to figure out how deep do you need to go and how frequently do you need to go to keep your Bermuda um, POA free without having to spray stuff out and things like that, right? And post. And so they. Uh, they figured out it was five millimeters, which is the, the shallowest depth. And you could do that um, once every other year, I think it was, and be pretty clean, be like 90% clean. So again, you know, you see it a lot in sports fields. You'll see it a lot in like uh, driving range tees, fairways, things like that. As far as the lawn and things like that, it hasn't really caught on yet. It's not a thing yet. But well, if there's that was anyone my... qualified to do it, Ryan Noor is the one who's going to bring it to lawn care. Well, my question in actually, terms of... Go ahead, Ray. Actually, and I have one more little thing to interject into this whole discussion about recuperative abilities of Zoisha after these various you know, mechanical practices. Oh, mm-hmm. Lord. I have, one more, I have one more test that I want to hear about from especially those Zoisha plots. And you know what it is, uh, Ryan Noor? What? A nematode assay. Because... that's I Thank if, you, Ray, for bringing it up. Because I was going to say, if there's any turf type in the South that is going to be aggressively accosted by nematodes, it will be Zoisha. So kudos to you, sir. Thank you. No, right, and the reason why... No, I, I, the reason why I bring it up, Matt, is because I think, you know, a lot of your bad experiences with Zoisha have been that, nematode related. No, no it, it all has to do with nematodes because, you and know, mole crickets. Mole crickets and nematodes, but then more so nematodes because nematodes are your elusive, mysterious pest, right? that is not addressed or dealt with with your standard chemical programs so and the symptoms for it are often very uh non-distinctive or you may mistake them for something else going wrong but then your actual issue is nematodes and for example the whole deal about zoisha not regrowing after being cut down to the dirt if that happens i start to suspect nematodes die mysteriously over winter i suspect nematodes and the reason why i'm starting to think like that is because ever since i included nematode management 
in my overall Zoisha management program, I haven't had those bad things happen to me anymore at all. None. Cheap insurance, right? Yeah, cheap insurance because... uh, That is the expensive insurance. Okay. Well, I mean mean in terms of an overall lawn replacement, right? Instead of going back and having to say, yeah, well, I forgot about the nematodes and guess what? It's toast, right? Yeah, because uh, cheap. Right, Ryan, I think you. I've told you about what a square foot of, say, Xeon costs here in Hawaii. Oh yeah, not not even close to what we would pay here. Like, uh, she's got to be a hundred x. Okay, it's no more uh, than fifty cents a square foot here. Okay, okay, Mister Deme, uh. Zion Zoisha in Hawaii goes for $4 a square foot. Lord have mercy. Does that come in you kilos or do you just get an eight ball? Do you get an eight ball of sod? <laughs> no, yeah. $4 I mean, a square I, foot. So, <laughs> so you could sod the damn know, thing four times. I mean, like pay somebody to just put four layers <laughs> of Zion here with that. Yeah, on yeah. lawns. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Matt, now you can now you can get why if somebody tells me that a bottle of Exterus is about you know three hundred dollars, why I don't flinch. Why that doesn't bother me. <laughs> doesn't bother me either. I mean three hundred dollars a bottle and it goes out at two gallons of the acre and you just I, I don't have nematodes here. We do have nematodes in Ohio, but I don't have them on fields that I deal with. And again, it's cheap insurance versus a total loan replacement, most especially for you, as you just alluded to with the cost. So, yeah. Uh, one thing I had a question about, Ryan, nor is, is there any thought to, just so he has something out there in the winter besides overseed of Bermuda, but, and just for fun, would he throw bent grass out there? I mean, most bent grass greens in Atlanta have gone away. About that, you could put, <laughs> but, but it's small enough. That is not fun. It's just, it's it's there's it's small enough. You can do like some Augusta stuff and put a shade tent up over summer and protect it. Whatever, just keep it no, watered. What's keep it, fun about that? Yeah, we're gonna put a thirty thousand fan for thirty thousand dollar fan out there too, and just blow yeah, with with a three thousand dollar electric bill just to just to heat our one thousand our fun, I'm, you know. One thousand. I'm trying to. Uh, I'm trying to pick a spot right now on a certain spot that I might be placing some bent grass at some point, and I'm. My wife and I were talking about that and trying to figure out the exact spot, but I don't know. The it's definitely going to be interesting even here in in the, the midsummer time frame. But I'm kind of excited to get started on something like that. I'm just going to say this, even though what I just said. I'll say this. You're crazy. I love it. I love you, but you're crazy. This is, yeah, it, it'll be real. Um, you're going to be the one building it. In, in, in your situation, there is, I can't fathom uh, managing bent grass without dacanil. Uh, so in a, in a home lawn setting uh, or a residential setting, uh, trying to manage bent without dacanel just would not be fun. Because for me, the, you know, that was always my my cure-all, right? 
whatever it is I'm doing, I can add a little daconil to the tank and it's typically going to fix it. I mean, literally that's like, that's the old school Midwest and Northeast trick, right? Is low off label, low rates, right? So if we're doing uh liquid formation, like the uh, chlorothionyl 720, what is that? A little below 3.2 fluid ounces, or if we're on dry flowable, so like, you know, three pounds or three and a half pounds instead of five pounds per acre. And I mean, there's still people that literally spray that every seven days at that low label rate and keep themselves under the annual label limit to, to be within the law, but highly effective, very highly effective. So it works. There's definitely <laughs> some challenges, definitely some challenges. And that's the Actually, one thing, too, is that you don't see uh, from... Well, okay, Ray, here's the one thing. I know you love Mancazeb, but Mancazeb here for us on some of the more common diseases like dollar spot and some of those things, it, it, it ain't moving the needle much. You can do some stuff with it, but it ain't going to move the needle like a Dacanil or a Secure. You watch I'm not going to talk about... Oh, I love it. I love it, but it's it's got a place and it ain't for... It, it's not going to replace chlorothalonil in my program, like yeah. for that purpose as a contact. Actually, not for me. That is that's that's a good point because un, while it was still legal, my go-to don't have time to figure out the disease issue, but I need to get it under control. Mix was Mancozib, Aliet. And either 3336, or if I'm going back a few more years, Benlate. <laughs> Man, Benlate. Go back a few more years and go get yourself some 1991. Right, right. But then what I'm saying the young, is The that... young kids here won't know that. They won't know that one. No, no. y'all are but, really showing your age. But <laughs> what I'm saying is that I get what you're saying about how Mancozeb was never my go-to for dollar spot because to me, Mancozeb was always brown patch, pythium, and leaf spots. Whereas I considered Dacanil to be more for dollar spot as a contact fungicide. Yeah, you know, so you're, you're totally right. I was going to say, I always yeah. sprayed azaleas uh, with Mancozeb and just accidentally hit the brown patch as I moved past it as well. It's just okay. typical and overspray. I mean, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it happens. It happens, right, Matt? It happens because... Uh, you know, but, it was just rinse that, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oops. Yeah. <laughs> Put that stream on that JD9 and see how many feet I can get out of it. <laughs> I had a mini stroke there. I had a tremor. I'm sorry. The the gun just went all over the all willy nilly, as a matter of fact. Well, actually, because back in the old days, how's this one? I had a gun set up that had three ceramic discord nozzles, you know. Mounted on a trident head. Ryan is cringing. You go all out on your on your your tips 
and your yeah. uh, the la- the last one foot of your spray application equipment. I love. It's like <laughs> nothing else you'll find. <laughs> so anyway, someday. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. So anyway, with that particular, you know, thing, I could literally cover like five hundred square foot of grass just by, you know, waving that that assembly out in front of me, and of course. Discharge rate on that assembly was about five gallons per minute. <laughs> how big was your how big was your tank? Either fifty or hundred. Oh god. Fifty or a hundred. Fifty yeah, or that's a- what we need to, that's we need to start the GoFundMe <laughs> for the Ryan Nor three hundred gallon sprayer with the high flow like 20 gallon a minute pump that he can spray, you know, three gallons per thousand at John nine miles Bean an hour. I can't, I, I, I can't right. wait. Oh, this is, <laughs> this is going to be amazing. Like the, the, the build out. So that was my question. So for, uh, so it, here's a question for you. And I, and this would be a good question to ask Lee. I wish he was here to ask him. This is what did he learn in building that, the turf park and the, the follow-up to that is what could you learn from him and what, you know, what, when you went down there and saw it, are there things that you took away that, you know, when all of this materializes at whatever point, right. What are some things, you know, one or two or three things that you picked up that you said, yep, I would do that. Or, Hey, I liked what he did here, but I would do this and this and this maybe a Mm -hmm. slight bit different just for me. Did you pick up Um, any of that? Yeah, you know, I think one of the things probably was just, I don't know that I would have brought in soil necessarily at all. I think I would have just went straight to doing more of a sand thing instead of trying to bring in a kind of native thing there. And I don't know really why necessarily that was. Maybe it was just cost. Maybe it was, I don't I don't know. But for me, I'm thinking if I wanted to do those plots or I wanted to do some testing, I think like Ray said, if I just went to more of a sand right away, then I would have a lot more control over everything. So I think right off the top of my head, that's probably the first thing that comes to mind. No question. I mean, that's, you do have more control in that scenario. Obviously the cost goes up on the front side, but you know, you've got to, if you're trying to maintain stuff half inch or less, or even three quarters or less, you've got to have that control, right? I mean, we were just talking, that was the first thing that, Ray mentioned and Matt's mentioned it too, is that, you know, the froggy feet, the wet feet, like, oof, I don't care what you're growing. No. It ain't fun. It ain't fun to grow low cut grass in that kind of an environment. Just flat out, not fun. And well, I've even found that so at home I, too, you know, the same, oh, the same thing goes for kind of the soil that I'm dealing with. And once I went to the low cut stuff, it, it's basically the same type of scenario where, you know, it just depends on the year. Last year we had such a dry year. So I was, much easier able to control all of that stuff because I was in control of all the water, but you know, there's other years where it just might rain nearly every single day in July or whatever the case is. And with the soil that I have, you know, it holds a lot of nutrients and everything too, which is good. But at the same time, then the moisture management is just really difficult at that point. Too much water, too much water. And I mean, that's, that's just, you know, one of the, 
issues. However, I have an alternate theory on why Lee did that. And that is to duplicate the conditions created when your average builder or developer of a neighborhood scrapes away all the dirt, brings in uh, the cheapest fill that he can get his hands on, and then lays turf on top of that. That's a very good point. Very good point. I mean, I mean, but then if he can then get a game plan, you know, as to how to actually manage this correctly, he can then tell his customers that are, you know, looking to have some, you know, low cut fine turf around their homes. He's he's able to kind of warn them and tell them, okay, this is probably what you're going to have to deal with be ready yeah that's a great point i mean ideally obviously yeah if you could just do the sand but to raise point there is it's probably not what most people are going to be doing so if you wanted to be more realistic in terms of your customer and what they might be dealing with that's absolutely a great point yeah so on that on that but ray here let me ask you this question real quick and ryan i'll ask you this too because you both experience this on cool and warm season is in what situation would you expect to top dress one time with sand and have everything be fixed for any reasonable length of time you know two or more years is that practical no no you know what my experience on low is cut, on the real cut real cut yeah on the real on the real cut stuff ryan Here's how I do it. I am maintaining my sand cap at least once every other year. And my idea of a sand cap is, you know, earmuffs an inch or more at a time. (laughs) Earmuffs. Because I'm dealing with Zoisha. Because I'm dealing with zoysia and not a and not a warm and not a cool season grass, because I know as a cool season grass you can't do that. <laughs> oh yeah, so anybody listening that would ever consider attempt, think about or uh, try and do that, especially if you're married, the first thing you need to do before you top dress an inch is pack all of your shit and put it in your car because you will be out on the doorstep <laughs> by probably within 24 hours after that. So it'd just be a good idea to get it all done ahead of time. Just do that ahead of time. <laughs> yeah. But use those Hilton hotel points, do whatever you need to do. Lay low for a little while. You know, like when brick killed a guy an anchorman, you need to lay low for a little while. <laughs> because I've seen that movie. here's, here's the thing is that I do catch some hell for turning people's lawns into beaches. I mean, I do catch some hell. I mean, don't don't get me wrong. However, two or three weeks after that grass starts poking through that sand cap, then I look like a genius. But when the lawn looks like a beach is when I'm not people's favorite person. (laughs) I got to admit. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a process and... There's a lot of education, but 
when you're the owner of the property and when you're already crazy and you're going to do the work yourself, none of that matters, right, Ryan Orr? <laughs> well, just imagine, just imagine me last year in my neighborhood with tons of sand in the driveway and then putting that down and it looked like, you know, it's not a crazy beach at that point because I wasn't going too crazy, but still, I mean, just imagine that and my neighborhood and they're like, good God, what is Ryan up to now? We just have no idea. He's off the deep end. Not even going to ask <laughs> questions at this point. <laughs> He's lost his ask shit. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Somebody asking a discord cool season sand cap isn't a thing. It can be a thing, but really like the most you can go is probably like a quarter inch at a time. Now there is, there was some really, really good work done. Uh, 10, 11 years ago at Michigan state. And they really tried to quantify how much and how frequently you can go. And so really like at peak growth, um, you know, from May through uh, the summertime, going out at a quarter inch and doing like four applications of that on like a four to five, five and a half week interval right through that period of say mid-May through early September, you can absolutely get an inch or a little bit more down in that period and be safe. Right. So, um, sand capping with it's more annoying with cool season because you can't just bury it like you can, you know, Bermuda, but if you're committed to it, that's the one thing that I think is tough for, say, in a homeowner proposition is you're just doing it repeatedly. And I don't think anybody looks forward to doing that, right? Unless oh, I do. you're like Ryan Moore and you, and you score a equal on top dresser right down the street for like <laughs> pennies on the dollar. Yeah. Money. No, that's money. I got a decent amount down in that first application because when I pulled my soil uh, cores this year for the soil test, it... It's a decent amount, so I'm excited to do that again, which hopefully will be maybe in a month or so. You're doing that in Cujo's, too. How comfortable is that not? Oh, it's good. Yeah, it's good. Looks good, but here's, here's, here's the craziest sand cap that I've ever done. Imagine putting down an inch and a half Every 30 days, three times. What the <laughs> Man, what was the, I can't say it on here. Never I'm, mind. I'm not even going to go there. On that. Yeah. Is, that, is that like four and a half inches of sand that you had to go down? That's, yep. that, that's that you did the math right there. Yeah. I was making sure. Yeah. yeah. And the craziest one I've ever done is not close to that, but go ahead. Yeah. Me yeah. But then. Here's the thing, is that doing that basically fixed a perennial pisium problem that I had. It was just perennial and chronic. Every time it rained, that turf would just patch out and get rotten, where once I threw down that, that sand and I made the grass put its roots on sand rather than in, you know, red mud, the grass was happy again. That's the problem I was having on my ryegrass that first season. It was just, mm -hmm. it rained a lot during the summertime. And then 
there was no way out of it. There was just it was just soaked all the time during that that year and wet feet, was right? definitely wet feet. Yep. Yeah. I that was intense. That be, went from a go ahead. I was just gonna say that'll be the issue on the Zoysia grass at Real Rollers too. Until until that gets rectified. Right on. Right on. <laughs> um yeah, that's a that's a lot, Ray. That's a lot. That was uh so Kevin Shepard asked in the chat, can you do a phrase mo sand cap and then grow in on top of that? You can. Uh and it Oh, we lost Ryan. Hang on, Ryan. R D, we lost your uh microphone for whatever reason. We don't know what happened there, but something got convoluted. Time to you were right in the middle of a great story. No, it ain't back yet. It ain't back yet. Because I I felt the thunder coming. I could hear the rumble in your voice and I was ready for it. And then and then I got hot wallet with silence. And it was uh it was sad. It brought a little sadness over me. <laughs> you know, I can't I can't remember exactly what the depth of sand was, but I know on uh one of those football fields I put I put 70, 70 tons of sand, 63 tons of sand, 70 tons of sand, something like that on it. It was it was a pretty significant amount. What was that now? Oh. Okay. Oh, you're back. You're, you're back. back. No, so, yeah, you can sand cap. Two inches is, is, is an ideal depth. Michigan State, that same work they did on frequency and timing, they also looked at depth. Two inches is fine. Doesn't matter if you're in warm season, cool season, but the deeper you go, the closer you want to, you want to, you can start at two inches, but you want to get to that like four to six range, ideally with a good sand, with a good sand. Um, but yeah, um, what was it on the football field? I think if that's what you're talking about, Matt, there was like 800 tons of sand over that to get that all two inches, right? But when you go with Ray's plan, I mean, that's like going from the Eiffel Tower to uh, a Playboy Grotto romp. I mean, that was that was that that serious <laughs> involved really quickly. Like that was I was not expecting that. I was not. They went down well, to the and- uh, to the to the beach, and they were like, all the tourists were like, "How come there's no <laughs> sand left on the beach?" And we're like, "Well, Ray took it all." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I took. There's I diamond. Took it all. <laughs> There's Diamond Head. Yeah, there, Where's all the sand, though? <laughs> oh, Ray. Yeah, yeah. Ray, Dog, what no big it, deal. No big deal, yeah. However, maintenance once you sand like that is at least every other year, and actually I, every year ideally, is I drop another half inch to an inch of sand over that one time a year during the growing season. And the reason why I'm doing that is because, do you know what happens to that excessive organic matter when you bury it with sand? Dilute it. Yeah, it's diluted. It's diluted, and then it decomposes. You see, I'm ex- I'm the exact opposite. Uh, but Ray, 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 I was told more organic matter is better. <laughs> I was told it's, it's better. better. I know, I know, Matt, it's better when you want piscium and large patch. 
more organic matter is your thing if you want those fungal diseases to be a prominent feature of your life then by all means go ahead with the organic matter and oh by the way i even count humic as organic matter because you put enough humic in the soil then that soil will definitely retain a lot more water it'll retain it for sure but then the problem is is that can somebody please make a spray for me? And I expect you or Matt to work on this now. Can you guys make a spray for me where I spray it out and I can make five inches of rain in one day dry up? Can, can you guys like formulate for me something? I would like that. Absolutely not. I know I can and I'm not going to do it just because you asked, Ray. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just totally joking there. <laughs> no, I, 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 Turfus, good luck. Yeah, Turface time, right? Turface time, mm -hmm. bags and bags of Turface. Uh, I know, but then otherwise, that is kind of why I think I'm doing the opposite of chasing more organic matter because organic matter is cool until you get to a time of the year when it won't stop raining. Then that organic matter is not your friend anymore. Yeah. Well, I think okay. that's what I always ran into as well when I had the, the full Kentucky bluegrass backyard too, was just same type of issue in the midsummer where one, it's a, it's a really dense grass anyway. And if you're cutting, cutting mm -hmm. it taller, then, you know, it was just difficult to manage that moisture. And there we go. Every single season problems right there. Okay. I have an alternate theory on Kentucky bluegrass as well. I'm under the impression that it turns into a liability unless you're mowing it at about an inch or lower, especially in more humid climates. RD can't, we're not hearing him again. Uh, yeah, your, your mic's out again. And I saw that face you were making, so I know you've got something quality to, to contribute here. That face was just... <laughs> priceless he, I think he was triggered i think he was triggered oh definitely triggered you can you can mow let me think here i want to make sure i say this accurately i would say that kentucky bluegrass of all the cool season grasses has the most widely adapted mowing height range of any of them right I can mow that from, I, I know there's some folks that mowed it a half inch. I certainly wouldn't. I'd be, the lowest I would go on it might be like uh, three quarters. Three quarter? You know, yeah. three quarter. Um, Looks so good. And then all the way up to about three and a half. Three and a half would be my max, right? So in, you know, the, the, the issues that you run into, and I'll let, uh, Ryan speak from a lawn care perspective, but the things that I'm always freaking out about, right, is um, the number one summer patch wholeheartedly, right? And so there's cultural things that we can do to manage around that. Um, again, understanding what our manganese and, ma and uh, magnesium levels are in our soil, 
There's a, there's a big indicative uh, correlation there in terms of being too low. And I think uh, I want to say the critical level on that is like 45 or 50 parts per million, something like that uh, for manganese specifically. A magnesium to a lesser extent is important there too. But um, also timing those fungicide apps, right? So like we want to hit it when it's 65 degrees, at two inches for like three days straight. If there's Kentucky bluegrass growers out there, I would say that University of Connecticut, Johnny Guanito, their plant pathologist there, by the way, Ohio State grad, go Bucks. Um, he is probably the preeminent guy on Summer Patch. Also, Bruce Clark down at Rutgers, who's retiring. But if you're looking up stuff on Summer Patch and trying to time up those apps, that's 65 degrees, two inches, three days straight. That's your trigger. You need that first uh, strobularin app and then come back 28 days later, hit it again. Right. So this is one, too, where to Ray's point, Ray and I love to talk about this, but this is where carrier volume matters. This is where uh, if you want to flush it through with a little bit of wetting agent to get it down into your root zone where it needs to be taken up by the plant. Because remember, the strobilarians, in particular, exoxystrobin, systemic up and down. Right. You want to get it in the roots because that summer patch is a root attacking fungus. Right. So. Those are like really critical steps if you're going to grow it at a high level. Now, the, the thing that I think a lot of people that are listening or will watch this don't face is the fact that it really doesn't uh, manifest itself until three, four, five years down the road to when you have a stand of Kentucky bluegrass. The sod, you can see it early earlier on because it's established and it's coming to you, right? But it's really that true age of the grass of years three, four, five is when you really start to see it and you have to start treating for it preventatively. You can get by, you know, you can be pre preventative before that just to cover your butt. But um, when you do get it, it's devastating. It's, it's, there's nothing you can do to recover because it's a pathogen that manifests itself when you don't even see it happening. And it only shows itself after it's so far gone that, I mean, there's literally nothing you can do at that point to recover. Uh, other than hope that, you know, you, you, you don't get dinged up by it too badly and then come on the other side and whether you're seeding or you're just trying to push rhizomes to spread, that's about all you got, right? So um, those are the things I worry about. That That's one the one major thing I worry about with it. But other than that, Midwest, you know, Mid-Atlantic, Northeast, it's a pretty forgiving grass. And the last thing I'll say is that there are a lot of really good cultivars available right now and a lot of really good blends out of those cultivars that are available and so that gives me hope that there is um again there's continued plant breeding that's trying to some of these issues that we face as growers whether it's home lawn sports fields golf course rough golf course fairway whatever it is um that there is a lot of good breeding that's going to come out and good uh, genetics that will continue to come out and i know that's something you guys both preach so don't worry about bluegrass. It's all good. It's, you know, it can, it can be troublesome at some times, but you know, you just got to beat it back into submission. And if not, you know what? Seed's pretty cheap right now. So unless you have plenty of ryegrass in which seed's going to be expensive and pretty much not available in the next five months. But. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Unless you got a Jacqueline dealer. Um, the, uh, <laughs> it's interesting about Kentucky bluegrass in the, yeah, <laughs> uh, the, the, almost total antithesis with new Bermuda grass and spring dead spot, right? So those first five years of a newly installed Bermuda lawn, spring dead spot is just what you deal with, right? 
um, unless you just absolutely nail the timing of that application. Um, but it's weird because after about five years, uh, it just is no longer really a thing anymore. Then you, you have to worry about winter kill if you have, you know, real aggressive freezing and that uh, that upper layer of soil, or especially in areas where you retain a lot of soil moisture. Where we are in the southeast, you know, winter's kind of a rainy season, right? Um, we get exponentially more rain now uh, than we do through uh, summer and fall, right? So. Um, unfortunately that's all there. And then, you know, we have ice storms, right? We don't necessarily always get a bunch of snow, uh, that when we do get freezing weather, it's typically in the form of a, of an ice storm. And then that is when we have the proliferation of, of winter kill, but totally different, looks totally different, acts totally different than, uh, than spring dead spot too. Uh, Ryan, what do you just, uh, nor, um, Thinking about going into this season with real rollers, what is your biggest apprehension? Um, and uh, what would you say? Um, yeah, what, what do you just, we'll start there. What are your biggest apprehensions? I mean, basically, I guess I would just say, obviously, not really having much experience with the warm season stuff in general. I wasn't pretending that I that I was or that I do. So it was, you know, using you guys as a resource or the people that I I know and that can help out. So my apprehension, I guess, would just be kind of related to more on the zoysia side, I, I would say, which is good because we talked a lot about that tonight. Uh, you know, there's a lot of Bermuda people that I, we interact with um, online or in the Discord or whatever. And it not saying that that grass is easy by any means. I know I'm going to get some people here who are like gonna kill me by saying that but it just seemed like it's slightly more forgiving in terms of a few things than what I've heard from Ray on or you Matt on some some of the zoysia side so I think that was going into that I was a little apprehensive about that part yeah I and uh, you know I'll say we'll kind of start wrapping this up but I'll say just my whole thing with zoysia is be very deliberate uh, and, and think beyond what you're doing now, but if you have a negative response to what you do, uh, take into account those variables. Um, some other things that are potentially there too, that you may not have experience with, uh, chinch bugs, uh, mole crickets, uh, nematodes, right? And it's not common. It's definitely not the norm in this area, but, um, it, is a thing, particularly when I was in Georgia, I had to deal with chinch bugs and, uh, um, now I don't know about chinch bugs and, and Zeon Zoysia. I only had it in, in Meyer, believe it or not. Um, but chinch bugs and, uh, and, and mole crickets were a, a, a thing that were always kind of lingering and in, uh, in, in Zoysia grass. So again, my biggest advice would just be deliberate with what you do and always have a contingency plan in the, in the background. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, that's like my big, would be my big message. And Basically, with Zoisha, be prepared for the unusual things or the things that your average residential lawn are not thoughts. Like, for example, nobody thinks about nematodes in a residential lawn, right? It never comes up. It'll come up in Zoisha. And here's one more odd insect pest that I have seen in Zoisha. 
It's an insect called the hunting billbug. Oh, shit, Ray. No. Good call. Good No, and call. do you know why... Do you know why I, ha- I I bring that up? Is I remember in the 1990s, back when every single s- square inch of Hawaii was being sodded or sprigged with El Toro, I got a call from somebody that said that their lawn were, was developing strange dead patches in it. It was, of course, middle of summer, not rainy, not wet. In fact, we were in the middle of a 30-year drought back then, so it couldn't be a disease. And then me poking around, you know, in their grass, looking at it, uh, I noticed some peculiar holes eaten right through the stolons. And I thought to myself, this is not normal for zoysia grass stolons to have a hole eaten clean through it. And then finally, after some more digging and in fact uh, flooding one little area of the lawn with the water hose to see what would come swimming up in the water, I then found my culprit in the form of billbugs. And safe to say that uh, the following day, that lawn got uh, treatment with something that is basically no longer allowed on the market. <laughs> so there and is that, and a... Go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> and, and that's where my, you know, three-nozzle, five-gallon-per-minute spray gun came into you know, effect because with a pest like that, you had to get contact with both the grubs from that pest as well as the adults a surface application or a light mist to coat it uh wouldn't quite suffice for that (laughs) so there was a i remember the the first time i heard about it was when i worked in uh in memphis and there was one year where all the zoysia uh ran into an issue and it was the year after we came out of a really bad drought and uh, and I, I remember this this company was called Irby Systems. Ken Crenshaw owns it, and just a, a phenomenal uh, uh, applicator. And uh, graduated from Mississippi State, and I just can't speak highly enough about Ken Crenshaw and the program he runs down there. Um, but I, he actually did a write up about uh, hunting bill bugs bugs at the time, and uh, and then we came to realize that the majority of the damage we were seeing on on zoysia grass at that time was all hunting bill bugs. So. Again, another one to put into the into the variable playbook there, uh, because it can it can definitely be one of those not common, but when it happens, you can really chase your ass trying to figure out what the hell's going on. My only wrap up here is just that again, all the things, the plans, the programs, the products, everything that we're talking about is all well and good, but without the proper person. Or people to support those there locally for Lee, it's all for naught, right? Mm-hmm. And for for him, this is a this is an investment in not only his property but his business, right? To be able to demonstrate these mowers and to be able to uh, show off his facility because it's really cool to pull in there, I'm sure, and see um, these beautiful, you know, swatches basically of turf, right? This whole this this uh, turf park, right? And so. Um, 
I would I would be searching very hard for the right people to help me do that if I'm not willing to do it myself or don't feel like I'm you know uh, all the way there yet it's just a really important thing that it's too important to leave that part to chance and rely on somebody who's inexperienced doesn't know what they're doing and potentially could cost you uh, a ton of money but money aside we talked about this with the zoysia in particular is time right it's one thing to say that hey we killed some zoysia but if it's august sorry tough luck yeah. right we'll see you next year and so that's the thing that um people lose sight of especially when it comes to commercially grown turf is that it's a choice always between time and money and in this case there's not enough money that will buy him enough time to grow that back so that he can continue to show customers um the fine fleet of mowers that he has and so that's all i would say is that uh, you know there there's resources available to him i mean us here i know matt knows uh people all over the country but particularly in atlanta that uh could help him out if need be he can do it himself but again making sure that he has that level of confidence in himself and or his staff to be able to execute that and stay on schedule and do all the things that need to be done so that that asset is kept the way that it was originally built right and it stays that way for a long long time so that would be my only thing again i'm an idiot when it comes to the zoysia I'm, I'm, I'm really thankful and grateful that i got to learn from um these two guys tonight and get my talking to right and i sat in the dumb chair tonight that's good i like sitting in the dumb chair sometimes <laughs> because you know what ryan nor sometimes i don't know right uh, so i don't know that's surprising i think yeah <laughs> with that being said though i w i want to thank you for coming on do you have any final thoughts for us and i would like to say that one one more parting thing here is that this is the first time folks that are watching and are familiar with some of the times that we get together on zoom or whatever and talk this is the first time i've ever heard matt not ask ryan nor to perform any type of music and i we have like three minutes left and so if you hurry <laughs> and talk quickly ryan we can set this new guinness book of world records for matt not trying to incite a ryan nor music riot yeah he did not tell me to one was he did not tell me to f off because i wasn't playing music that's that's number one and you're exactly right you're exactly right this is this is a record here but no i just want to thank you guys as well you know beyond this here tonight obviously want to thank you for kind of going through that with me but beyond that being extremely supportive of me all the time and everything that i'm doing and me always trying to learn something new i uh you know didn't come from a turf academic background but i never claimed to to have that so i always just relied on the people that i needed to to learn learn more and continue to learn every single day so i just wanted to say thank you to to you three specifically for being really supportive of me and and everything that i do you're killing it dude yeah, we're proud of you seriously yeah thank thank you ryan we we enjoy it um you know it, and also i and I'll just kind of recap on what uh, ryan said there if you need help with anything i know a lot of great uh turf managers in the uh in the atlanta area i'm only three hours away too so my parents live there so i'm down there often too um you know awesome i, I don't i don't mind going down to put eyes on it either so thank you ryan uh real quick before we head out Tell us where can uh, where can people find you and where can they learn more about you and where can they follow along with your real roller experiment and whatever else you got going on. 
Yeah, you can just check out my YouTube channel under Ryan Noor Lawn Care. So that's, uh, you know, K-N-O-R-R and two letters are useless, as I always say. And then uh, RyanNoorLawnCare.com. And I, it was kind of a joke because I know everybody here knows who you are and they're probably watching us for the first time. So anyway, that was that was me being funny. <laughs> uh, everybody hang yeah. around. Uh, there is going to be a link for the show after the show in the Discord. Hashtag Dirty Deeds. I'm not going to be there too long. My wife had her COVID shot and ain't feeling great. So, uh, But we will be hanging out there and everybody else will be hanging out there. And again, that's going to be in uh, hashtag Dirty Deeds is where you'll find that link. It'll be up for 10 minutes and 10 minutes only before it disappears, never to be seen again. These are not replayable. These are there for a good time and a good time only. Thank you all for tuning in. and We'll catch you on the flip side. What I say, I don't like you, but I love you.